Today, as we begin the month of October, we also begin a new sermon series on the Reformation, on some of the key themes of the Reformation. On October 31st, Christians all around the world will commemorate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the beginning of which is attributed to Martin Luther's bold act of nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg University doors where he was a professor. And in this, he listed his grievances against current church practices, uh, namely selling indulgences, among a few other things. While his intention at the time wasn't to break from the church, this bold act is looked to as the beginning of the reformation of the church, uh, and is ultimately what gave birth to the Lutheran, Anglican, and eventually Presbyterian traditions, among many others. The Catholic Church, too, eventually sought reform, and the current pope is even planning to honor Luther's ministry and his boldness as a way of seeking Christian unity as this auspicious anniversary approaches us. Because of this, I've decided to focus this month on some key themes of the Reformation in worship. Our focus for this will be the original three solas of the Reformation, taken largely from Martin Luther's own writing. Grace alone, faith alone, and scripture alone. Together, these form a sort of motto that Protestants have used to sum up the essentials of our Christian faith. Today, we'll focus on the first sola, grace alone, or the Latin phrase used as sola gratia. And we'll explore what it means to affirm our salvation in Christ by grace alone, by diving into the letter to the Ephesians where we'll see Paul's theology of salvation by grace through faith in arguably its clearest form. Since it's also World Communion Sunday, I've decided to extend our reading, skipping ahead and then including a few more verses to verse 20, so that we can see the connection between God's grace and also our unity in Christ. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the second chapter of Ephesians, beginning with the first verse. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, Like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Skipping ahead to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, 
In his flesh he has made both groups into one, and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not really a big fan of flying. But it's not so much that I'm afraid of flying. What I don't like is marching through the airport, waiting in endless lines, not knowing if I'll be delayed or if my bag will make it. You know, when I think about it, it's really more the fear of giving up control, of stepping onto a plane and being stuck, helpless, completely in someone else's hands. As humans, we love to be in control. Scratch that. We need to be in control. I heard a story not too long ago about researchers who were uh, looking into designing a self-driving car. They looked into and did their own studies, and what they saw was that having an emergency steering wheel or brake on these cars, you know, so the person actually sitting in the car can correct something the robot did in an emergency, these things would actually make the car more dangerous, and significantly so. Yet what they also found is that very few people would be able to drive or buy such a vehicle without that emergency backup. You know, I think I'd include myself in this, in this group that would be a little resistant or hesitant to do that. And I think it's just this kind of feeling, this human feeling of needing to be in control that makes us hesitant, or at least confused sometimes, to the kind of grace we read about in our lesson today. Now, to step back for a moment, grace is a word that we say a lot in the church. It's one of those words with repetition that can almost lose its meaning, because church leaders like myself often assume that everyone knows what we mean when we say it. But friends, this is a word that is far too important to Christians to ever assume that we know everything that it means and entails. In our lesson and throughout the New Testament, we learn that in Christ we are saved by grace alone. This means that God has mercifully saved us in Christ, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we didn't do. If anything, God has saved us in spite of what we have done. In essence, grace means that we get what we don't deserve. Grace means that we get what we didn't earn. Our reading begins with stating how sin has held us captive, basically making us unable to help or save ourselves. God intervenes in Christ, defeating sin and death and allowing us to be considered fellow children of God, something we call the doctrine of adoption in the church. Then the writer reminds the Ephesians that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. 
But even this faith isn't an act of one's own doing. This, too, is a gift of God. We'll cover faith more next week, but for now, understand faith as our awareness of being claimed by God's grace in Christ. Grace became a significant issue during the Reformation for Martin Luther and later others like Calvin. This is because in the Catholic Church at the time, people could buy indulgences and commit acts that could either get them or their loved ones into heaven, either directly or, at the very least, speed up the process. It should be noted that this is no longer a practice of the Catholic Church, and they too are celebrating uh, the work of the Reformation, particularly Luther's, calling the entire church to reform according to God's word. But because of this grievance, grace took center stage during the Reformation. Luther and others reaffirmed it, much of Paul's own biblical theology by stating that we are saved by grace alone and not through works. The writer of Ephesians goes on to say that God's grace makes us one in Christ. Because we are saved by grace and not because of anything we have done, no one can claim to be a better Christian or to be more saved than another. This strikes me as an odd statement in the world we live today. In the world we live today, we're always comparing ourselves with others in pretty much every aspect of our lives. But here we see this. God loves us not because of anything we've done. You could even say in spite of what we've done. No, rather, God loves us because of Christ. Scripture tells us that through God's grace, we have been clothed with Christ. We put on the clothing, the garment of Christ. When God looks at us, God no longer sees our faults, our brokenness. God sees uh, God's own beloved child. In a world that always ranks and compares and grades, God loves us and graciously chooses us in Christ, not through anything we've done. Friends, this is the unmerited, undeserved grace of God. And it is truly a cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. So the question Christians ask themselves then is, how do we respond to this amazing, undeserved grace? We respond with gratitude, by seeking to live more and more into Christ-likeness. Christians do good things, we do good works, but we don't do these so that we might be saved. Rather, we do them out of gratitude for this abundant grace and mercy of God we know in Christ. Friends, we'll soon gather at our Lord's table to share in communion. The sacraments like grace also took center stage during the Reformation. And grace is really the reason for this. Because through the Reformation, we believe that the sacraments are the signs and the seals of God's grace. At the table, we experience this grace as we are met and fed by our risen Lord. In the constitution of of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA... It says that access to the table, the Lord's table, is not a right conferred upon the worthy, but a privilege given to the undeserving who come in faith, repentance, and love. Joining at the table becomes a way we experience this undeserved grace and mercy, here and now as our risen Lord feeds us and nourishes us for our journey of faith. But you know something else happens when we gather at the table. 
Something that it feels especially relevant, not just in today's polarized and divided world, but also since today is World Communion Sunday. At our Lord's table, we are made one. We're made one with every other Christian, people of every nation, race, and ideology. We believe that as we gather at our Lord's table, we do so with Christians of every time and place, past, present, and future, of every language, continent, and tradition. All are one and gathered together at our Lord's table. By nature, friends, as human beings, we will continue to naturally seek to be in control, to seek control of every aspect of our lives. But may we be comforted that God has graciously claimed us, not because of anything we've done or not done, but because of Christ. This is the good news of God's grace for us and a cornerstone of our faith. As we prepare to gather at the table with Christians all over the world, and as we prepare to go out from this place nourished and strengthened, our challenge is to live into this grace, this grace of God, this abundant, undeserved grace of God, and seek ways to extend this undeserved mercy and love to our neighbors near and far. Friends, may it be so for us and for all that we might model God's kingdom on earth here and now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.